Well, good morning again. I wonder if you can keep your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 8. Uh, there's also an outline in the uh, order of service uh, uh, that, you, uh, that you might have downloaded. Uh, but most importantly, Colossians 1, 1 to 8 uh, in the Bibles. Uh, uh, so if you have that, uh, let me lead us in prayer and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray. Uh, that as we read and consider your word uh, this morning, uh, that your spirit would help us, uh, that he will open our eyes, uh, that we might see Jesus, we might appreciate him more, uh, and that you'll fill us uh, with faithfulness uh, and love. Uh, so we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we remembered the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins, and we celebrated his resurrection. And we heard the risen Jesus command that the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name should be proclaimed to all the world. Today, we are being introduced to one community that was a product of that message going out. They lived in a place called Colossae, which is now part of Turkey. Uh, they weren't a perfect church, there's no such thing. Uh, and they faced great danger from a false teaching that Paul was going to warn them about. But they were a church that he was deeply thankful for. For they were a church where God was really working in a profound way. Paul could tell because he knew what to look for. And in this passage, the Spirit shows us what to look for as well, because we too want to be a church that brings glory to God. And we want to be the kind of people who are filled with thankfulness to God for His work when we see it evident in other churches as well. Paul opens this letter in the normal way by introducing himself as the author. He describes himself in verse 1 as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That is, he was chosen, authorized, sent by the risen of Jesus. Uh, Jesus appointed 12 apostles to the Jews and one apostle to the Gentiles. And, and so this letter carries not only Paul's authority, but behind him stands Jesus whom he represents. And Paul also adds Timothy's name to it. Uh, Timothy was Paul's protege the man he had been discipling and training and working with. Uh, so Timothy is also involved in this letter. Maybe he's taking dictation as Paul speaks. Oh, and one more important thing. Paul is writing this letter from prison. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 10, he mentions a fellow prisoner of his. And he finishes the letter with a reference to his chains. You see, ministry didn't stop for Paul when he went to prison. He just found different ways of doing it, like writing letters like this instead of traveling around preaching. And ministry doesn't stop for us under MCO conditions either. We just find different ways of doing it. The recipients of this letter are described in verse 2 as the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Paul had never actually been to Colossae, but he had spent more than two years at Ephesus, which was 200 kilometers away, where every day he had preached and argued and reasoned in a prominent hall there. And that was so effective that the gospel went out from there to the entire area. And one of the people who was converted in Ephesus was a Colossian named Epaphras. And Epaphras was the one who took the gospel back to Colossae and planted the church there. And more recently, he had left Colossae, brought news of the church to Paul. And now, from what we read in Philemon, which is probably written about the same time, he's in prison with Paul. But incidentally, ministry didn't stop for Epaphras either when he went to prison. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 12, uh, he speaks about, uh, Paul speaks about the fact that 
Epaphras is praying for the Colossians. In fact, he says he's struggling on their behalf in his prayers. And he sends greetings to them. Now, and sisters and brothers, even though you can't meet people during this season, you can still pray for them. And I know that's a big part of ministry for some of you. Uh, and like him, you can still greet them uh, better on the phone or, or social media. And I know many of you are doing that as well. Right? Ministry doesn't stop for us under MCO conditions. We just do it differently. So back to chapter 1. Uh, even though Paul has not yet met these Colossians, he considers them his brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he calls them in verse 2, saints, which means holy ones. Likewise, if we are what verse 2 calls faithful brothers in Christ, that is, people who have a genuine, ongoing faith in Christ, then we too are saints. We are holy, are set apart by God from everyone else to especially belong to Him. And since the Colossians were saints, they ought to live in a saintly way, and so should we. The problem is, different people tell us different things about what that ought to look like. The false teachers in Colossae were trying to get them to act in particular religious ways. And Paul is going to use this letter to warn the believers about the false ways of living the Christian life and show them and show us what it's really going to look like. And we'll see that over the next few weeks. Now, I mentioned earlier that Paul was profoundly thankful to God for the Colossians. And he's not shy to tell them that. He writes in verse 3 that he and Timothy always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He knows the good things he's heard about them is actually from God. And so he thanks God. And likewise, whenever we see good things happening in our church or in other churches, we should respond in thanksgiving to God. So what has Paul heard about the Colossians that make him so thankful? Well, he has heard in verse 4, of their faith in Christ Jesus and the love they have for all the saints. The evidence of God's work among them that he is so thankful for is their faith in Christ Jesus, or another way of translating it, their faithfulness to Christ Jesus and the love they have for all the saints, that is God's people. Faithfulness to Christ, love for his people. That, my friends, is the fruit that shows the genuine work of God in a Christian community. That is the thing to really, really thank God for when we see in our church, in any church or Christian organization, faithfulness to Christ, love for God's people. And why do the Colossians show this evidence, this fruit? Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Uh, the hope here uh, refers to the, that future that the Colossians were looking forward to with confidence. Uh, they knew that Christ had risen from the dead, that he had ascended into heaven. They knew their future was with him. They were looking forward to that day when Christ would come again and they would experience that glorious eternal future. And what made them so confident about that future? They had this grasp of the future because they believed God's promises. Second half of verse 5. Because of the hope laid up from you in heaven, of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. For the gospel or the good news that was preached to them, that is what gave them future hope. 
Because in the gospel of Jesus, we find promises for an eternal future for all who believe. In the gospel, we learn that Jesus is, is God the Son come to save and rule his people. We learn that he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin on our behalf so that we can be reconciled to the Father. We learn that he rose again as the promised king and that those who believe in him are part of his kingdom. We are now his forgiven people so that when he comes again in glory, we will not be condemned, but, but we'll be with him forever and enjoy the eternal life in his glorious kingdom. Now, some preachers will rubbish this gospel as pie in the sky when you die, and they rather preach about steak on the plate while you win. But this is the real gospel, which gives us promises for our ultimate well-being. And that's so much more important than having material prosperity or perfect health in the here and now. And this gospel, with its promise for the future, was and still is going out over all the world. Uh, in verse 6, uh, Paul talks about how it is growing uh, across the world, that is, in the whole Roman Empire, the known world at the time, and it was bearing fruit, as it says, uh, bearing fruit as people believe the gospel and their lives and futures are changed through Jesus. It was growing, in verse 6, uh, and that's actually a passive in the Greek, it was being grown, right? because God is the one who is actually making it spread. And even though it had been happening all over the place, it was also happening right there in Colossae. Ever since, ever since what? Second half of verse 6? Ever since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Right? The gospel that was growing around the world really made its impact on the Colossians when they heard it and they really understood the grace of God in all its truth. And friends, this gospel going out over the world gives you and it gives me a hope for the future. It transforms us into a community that are faithful to Christ and love the saints when both those things happen. When we hear the gospel and we really understand the grace of God in all its truth. The Colossians heard the gospel from Epaphras. Now, in fact, verse 7 says they, they learned it from him. Uh, and in St. Mary's, we want people to hear the gospel as well. We preach the gospel every week. We run Christianity Explored. Uh, we do baptism and confirmation classes. Uh, people meet each other one-to-one -one in small groups to, to learn the gospel. But hearing the gospel is just the first step in learning the gospel. The second part is understanding the grace of God in all its truth. Yet we need to know the facts of the gospel. Christ died for our sins and rose again according to the scriptures. And we need to understand the reason behind those facts, and that is the wonderful grace of God to sinners like us. Grace means unmerited favor. It's about God being kind to us in a way that we don't deserve. You see, because of our sin, the way we haven't treated God properly, what we deserve is His punishment, His judgment, His, His eternal condemnation. But the Gospel says Jesus died for us instead. He bore our sins on our behalf. He took the punishment for us so that those who trust in Jesus have forgiveness and eternal life with Him forever as a gift. A gift that we could never earn. A gift that we don't deserve. That is grace. And when the Colossians understood the truth of God's grace, 
and they are able to appreciate the amazing kindness that God had shown them in Jesus. When they heard and believed the gospel, began to grow and bear fruit among them. And that's the same for us. Learning the facts about Jesus' death and resurrection on Good Friday and Easter Sunday is not enough. We need to understand the grace of God in all its truth. And that is the work of the Spirit in our hearts. It's called conversion. It's more than learning the gospel facts, but it's not less. It's believing not only that Jesus died, but that he died for me to take away my sin, my guilt, my shame. It's believing not only that, that Jesus rose again in history, but that he will really raise me on the last day and save me forever, not because of my goodness, but because of his kindness and love to me, and to trust him with my life and my death. It's not only believing the facts of the gospel, but taking them on ourselves, coming to know and appreciate the wonderful grace God has shown us in Jesus Christ. So, let's look at our diagram again, see what we've discovered from God's word this morning. The gospel is growing fruit, bearing fruit all over the world, and it happens in the life of one community when we hear and understand the grace of God in all its truth. As the gospel is taught, people come to understand the grace of God and lives are changed. And the gospel grows and bears fruit in the church. And how does it do that? Well, it tells us of the hope that we have in heaven. It points us to the future and it gives us hope and certainty in the midst of the many uncertainties of life. And that gives us a meaning and purpose now, enabling us to press faithfully on now through the hardships of life and keep on loving uh, even when people are difficult. Uh, and because of the future hope in verse 5, we are faithful to Christ Jesus and love the saints in verse 4. And when we are faithful to Christ and love the saints, it is clear that our faith is genuine. And this, in verse 3, is something to thank God for, because He is the one behind the gospel, and He is the one in control of the whole process, every step of the way. So, my friend, where are you up to in that process? Have you learned the gospel? You've heard the gospel. Have you understood the grace of God and all its truth? Do you realize for yourself that, yes, you are a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior? And are you relying on Jesus alone to save you and give you eternal life? And if not, why not pray that God's Spirit will open your heart to realize how sinful you are, but also how gracious God is to give his son to save you and to trust in that saving grace. But if you have understood God's grace in the gospel, then the gospel must be growing and bearing fruit in your life. You'll be faithful to Christ and love his people because of the hope that is waiting for you in heaven. But this passage is much bigger than the individual, isn't it? It's about the church. As a church, we need to keep on learning the gospel and understanding God's grace and all its truth. We need to keep teaching the gospel and the grace that flows from it so that our eyes are more and more set on the hope that is laid up for us in heaven and we show this more and more in faithfulness to Jesus and love for his people. Now, as we go on in the book of Colossians, we will see more about what this faithfulness and love looks like. Uh, in chapter 1 and 2, we will see what it means to be faithful to Christ. It means keeping on trusting Him as our Savior and King in an ongoing way, all the way to the end. It means recognizing 
his supremacy over everything and everyone in creation. It means being willing to suffer with him, to see his gospel go out. It means not turning away from him to other philosophies or spiritual practices. And it especially means not two-timing him, not trying to supplement him with other religious or spiritual practices as if he was not enough. For we will see as we go on in Colossians that he really is supreme, that he really is enough. And all we need to do is be faithful to him and to love his people. And so in chapter 3 and 4, we will see how to love his people. We'll see the kinds of attitudes and behaviors we need to get rid of. And we'll see the kind of character we will need to show in church, at home, and at work. And we'll see examples of, of people putting this into practice. And so we'll see what it looks like to be faithful to Christ and to love his people more and more and more. As I look around at our church, I'm thankful to God that I really do see people being faithful to Christ and loving his people. I see a community of people who really still stick to Christ and trust in Him alone for salvation, who are really clear and faithful in your witness to Christ, and I am so thankful for that. And I do see people loving one another, just the way you've responded to others in love and care and generosity and concern during this MCO period, that is evidence of it. And once again, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God because I know that whatever good that is happening here, is coming from him. But growth and fruit are not once and for all things. We need to keep growing. We need to keep bearing fruit as we focus on the hope that we have in heaven. Now, sometimes it's easy to get distracted from that by, by all the things of this world, but, but this MCO time is an opportunity for some of us to, to refocus, to have our vision sharpened on the hope for the future. And so to prioritize an increase in faithfulness and love in the present. So sisters and brothers, let's keep growing in our faithfulness to Jesus. Let's keep trusting him, no matter what he allows on our part, because we know that in the end, he's going to make it up to us. And let's keep loving the saints, even when they are less than saintly in their actions towards us. Let's be gracious and kind to others in a way they don't deserve, because God has been so gracious and kind to us in a way that we don't deserve either. My prayer for our church is that we'll keep on growing uh, in both these things. For that is the kind of church that glorifies God. And that is the kind of church to be thankful for. But that's not something we can legislate. It's not something we can impose. It's not something that we can program. It's something that flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something that comes from the Spirit as He enables us to truly appreciate the grace of God. It's something that's motivated by the hope that is stored up for us in heaven. So when we see evidence of faith and love in our lives and in our church, or in the lives and churches of others, the appropriate response is to thank God, like Paul did for the Colossians. Because in the end, it is all dependent on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit all over the world. And we thank you that this has been happening in our churches as well. We thank you for the people who brought the gospel to us and faithfully explained it and, and taught it to us. We thank you for the people who continue to pray for us, 
and struggle in prayer for us. And we pray that each one of us individually and, and all of us together would not only hear the gospel but understand your wonderful grace in all its truth. May we be assured of the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. And so may we live lives of faithfulness to Christ and love for all his people. And may we be people who are thankful to you wherever we see this faithfulness and love among our brothers and sisters, and wherever they may be. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.